right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320-KLWN. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. I am Adam Drovetta filling in for, uh, well, somewhat filling in for me because I'm on every day as well. But I'm uh, completely by myself again today, Derek Johnson. I believe is on his flight back right now from California, but he spent the weekend there, uh, had himself a golf tournament on Friday. He's not a professional golf player. He just played in one with his dad because he was back there seeing family for the holidays. So hope he had an awesome trip. Hope he gets back safely. He should be back back in tomorrow uh, with me. And uh, we'll have quite a bit of talk about tomorrow. Uh, he still has not given his excerpt on what uh, went on with that Chiefs game Thursday night. You all heard my thoughts on it uh, Friday, and it was very exciting. By the way, I know uh, one of my hiccups is saying, uh, a lot. Um, um, I do that, and I also kind of have these long, drawn-out pauses. Everybody has these little speech idiosyncrasies that, uh, that hang, you know, they hang up and and either it just becomes a part of who you are and how you speak and and, and the little idiosyncrasies that people um, kind of recognize your voice with. And there's some of that, but it is something I'm going to work on. I'm bringing this up because I can't promise that the, the pauses will get any better today. And that's because right now on the TV is Old Dominion versus Tulsa. Tulsa currently holding a 17-10 to 10 lead in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. And I need you all to understand, I love bowl games. I love bowl games. I think I mentioned this on Friday when I was a kid. I had a whiteboard in my basement, and I would on in March I would always draw up the NCAA tournament bracket on it. And then around Christmas break, one of my first projects of Christmas break is I was write write up every bowl, the, the bowl, the bowl, the uh, time, the TV, and the teams playing. And then I would write the results. I love these bowl games. Um, I know that uh, the argument has been made that with college football playoff, the bowls have lost some meaning. That may be true. I, I, I'm not going to fault a kid for not playing in the bowl if he has a chance to get drafted. I'd prefer they did play because it makes things more compelling and more entertaining with the whole team playing. But I get it. I'm not going to criticize a, a kid who decides not to play in the bowl game because he's got, uh, in a lot of cases, a family to, to look out for. He's got an opportunity to change his whole family's life uh, by getting drafted and playing in the NFL. Um, so I get it. But again, the point being I, I'm trying to make is I love bowl games, and I currently have one on the TV right now as uh, the Myrtle Beach Bowl is heading to halftime with Tulsa leading Old Dominion 17-10. to Kind of a bunch of fireworks there in the first quarter with a lot of scoring, and it kind of pulled back a little bit in the second quarter. And then later at 3 o'clock, which is now actually, so uh, already kicked off has been uh, the Vegas Raiders and the Cleveland Browns. They're playing. They had to get moved to this afternoon because of COVID. And uh, we'll talk a little more about that 
in case of the Mondays, there's some news about that uh, game. Uh, I'll just tell you right now, it's that they're uh, using their third-string quarterback, are the Browns. Um, Baker and Case Keenum both failed. It's uh, Mullins starting a quarterback against the Raiders, which is not good news for the Cleveland Browns because they are fighting for a playoff spot. Um, I, the Raiders, I guess, are too, so it's much better news for the Raiders. But, yeah, we got a 3 o'clock. That would mean what? It's, it's 1 o'clock out there in Vegas. I think they're in the Pacific time zone. So they got a one in the afternoon game out there, so it maybe feels like a Sunday. I, I don't know. I don't know how many people are taking off today. Um, I I really enjoy this time of year. I know this is not a, a super sports-oriented discussion. We're going to get to the KU game from Saturday night here momentarily. But I, I did want to make it a point um, uh, to talk about this particular week and how I love it. I particularly love when Christmas falls on a Friday or Saturday because you get a whole week to look forward to it. And this time is like the 20th through the 22nd is, and sometimes the 23rd are really what kind of gets me starting to get giddy. And the reason for that is when I was a kid, we always went back to Illinois for Christmas time, uh, where both my grandparents, my both my parents and my older sisters are from there. It's um, on the western end of Illinois, just outside St. Louis. And we always went there. Uh, uh, we'd leave on Christmas Eve, and we'd stay through the 26th or the 27th. And so we had, you know, Christmas Day, the 25th itself, until I was 10 years old, we always celebrated the 25th at one of my grandma's houses. Um, and Christmas Day, or I mean Christmas at, at our house where I grew up, was, which for the record is in Gardner, um, was celebrated somewhere between the 20th and the 23rd. And to keep the mystery of Santa alive, and because Santa is so sneaky, you never quite know what that guy, Santa would, would show up, you never really quite knew. Sometime between the 20th and the 23rd, inevitably with gifts that uh, we had asked for. Very magical, that guy. I was always impressed with his work. Always a big fan. Still am, uh, by the way. And... Anyway, I just I, I think this time of year I think back all the time and, I, and all those memories come back and it's so much fun. Um, my I had bunk beds and and my sister and I we had different rooms, but over Christmas break we would share um, my bunk bed. I'd be in the bottom bunk, she'd be in the top bunk, and you know we'd be kids and it was fun. And then every morning we kind of started probably about when I was in first or second grade. She's a couple years older than me. We would kind of start this this random tradition where we would wake each other up acting like it's Christmas. And then, hey, Santa came last night. Like, oh, my gosh. So we'd get up and get out and see, oh, it's a joke. So then it got to the point where we were wise to each other. So it'd be like, hey, it actually happened. All right, prove it. Bring me something from my stocking. So you have to go grab a piece of candy from the stocking and be like, here, look, see, Santa actually came last night. So it was always fun. Sometimes Santa showed up on the 20th. Sometimes it was as late as the 23rd. Um, usually it was the 21st or the 22nd. In fact, I remember the 21st one year he showed up at night. It was out of nowhere. Didn't show up that morning. And then we went to the movies. Then we got back, and guess what? Santa had come. Stockings were full. Christmas presents were out. What a time to be alive. And so, you know... I always I, I bring that up I, I guess for because I like sharing it um I always it's, there's always a I always say that when a person grows that you know you don't grow linear linearly 
you know, you, you're always the same, you know, even when you're 30, you're also six at that age and you're seven and you're eight and you're 14 and you're 15. You're perpetually every age you've ever been because those memories never really leave you and the emotions you felt at those times, they never leave you either. Um, and so, you know, if I always appreciate what parents go through, of course, with the help of Santa Claus, what they all go through uh, for their kids for Christmas because um, that's going to stick forever. I mean, I, I, I know Christmas feels different now uh, as a 33-year-old than it did when I was eight years old. It feels it feels very different, but I, I still pull back to those memories and, and thinking back to past Christmases, not in the way that a, a ghost forces you to as Ebenezer Scrooge, but it, past Christmases you actually want to think back towards. Um, you know, you get these those those emotions come back too, and it's it's just it's fun. It's it's a it's a wonderful time of year. It's a nostalgic time of year, um, and it was made possible by my parents, and I I hope uh, parents continue. You know, if you are a parent, you feel golly, this is a stressful time of year. I haven't slept since my kids were born. Um, I don't personally know how that feels. I don't yet have kids, but I will just say you're doing well and someday your kid's going to be in their twenties and in their thirties and their, you know, Christmas is going to come then. And even though it's going to feel a little different, they're still going to be able to pull back to those memories of when they were kids and how special you made it for them. So keep it going. Um, grab a nap if you can. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to uh, I wanted to bring that up because I've got the the microphone to myself for now, and that was on my mind. I was on my way to work today. I was listening to Christmas music. I was grinning like a big stupid idiot, um, and it was it was all because of that. I was thinking back to to previous Christmas times and and what a great time it was, and I think it'll be fun again this year. It's fun to see my nephews feel that same way that I felt then. Um, and, and, you know, again, with the nostalgia, it immediately takes you back to what an awesome time that was. Uh, I'm sure it's stressful for the adults in our lives, but for us, we, we were none the wiser. We just loved it. We, we had so much fun. Um, and then we kind of got grumpy round about 8 p.m. because we'd been up since 4 in the morning running on adrenaline and sugar. So, but again, you know, you deal with that too. Uh, moving on now to some actual sports topics because we are Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I want to talk about KU Saturday night. We had a chance to talk Friday about the Chiefs game, which uh, leaves, you know, since there was no Chiefs game uh, over the weekend, we can talk as much as we can about KU. Uh, we'll get to the actual Chiefs and, and how they, they've now jumped up into the one seed with losses by the Patriots and the Titans over the weekend. That'll be another segment uh, later um Maybe this hour, maybe the next hour, but it will take place over the show. For now, we're going to talk about Saturday's game against Stephen F. Austin. And I I felt, you know, all these games, you don't really know what to take away. You would have preferred a bigger blowout. I think I said in my sports update that was running earlier today that um, there was, you know, Stephen F. Austin made it tighter than a lot of KU fans would have preferred. I think most fans would agree. But Brian Haney kind of alluded to what should we expect on Friday when we had him on the show. He said that that Coach Self had, had told him they'd kind of cut back on practices. Uh, they they'd had shorter practices. They they'd had two. You know they they cut. Uh, cancel's not the right word, but um, there were two days in which they normally would have had practice in which they did not, and that was due to finals. So the practices they had fewer practices to begin with, and then on top of that, the practices they did have were shorter 
and so I, I, you saw that. I think you saw a sloppy game. You also saw um, some really good shots made by Stephen F. Austin. Um, they uh, jostle. Uh, I think uh, Latrell jostle. I, I feel bad. I can't. I think that's his first. Jostle is his last name. Anyway, the the kid we talked about who's who transferred from KU to Stephen F. Austin. He he hit a couple amazing shots. Bill Self even said in his media availability ahead of the game. He's, you know, he's this guy, he's, he's what, five foot ten, and he'll, he'll shoot it from the Hawk. And he had a shot in second half that, that came from about the Jayhawk at uh, center court. Um, and, of course, that Jayhawk at center court seems to grow bigger and bigger every year. So it's getting to the point where it's almost in the blocks by now. Nonetheless, he shot from the Hawk near center court, and he can't. I mean, and, and so Stephen F. Austin was making some guarded shots, but KU was also somewhat lazy on their defense. Um and they also, Self even said after the game with Greg Gurley in the post-game show, he said that the scattering report was good, but he himself he did not have them well prepared. So Self took that on himself in the in the post-game with Gurley uh, that he didn't have them properly prepared. And, and, and in a way, I, I, I don't know who to put it on. I know Self is the type of coach that kind of just puts things on him, on himself, but Regardless, yeah, there were times where offensively even KU didn't look um, up to snuff. They didn't look well-prepared. They didn't look like they, you know, as, as overextended as the Stephen F. Austin defense was, they kept picking up their dribble near half court, which was irritating. They they didn't start cutting much until the second half, um, which was irritating. But, you know, so whatever the reason was, there was it was it was sloppy ball. And the Jayhawks did still put up 80 points. They still remain third in Ken Palm on offense. Their defense fell back to 38th. And they played a Ken Palm team that was uh, just ahead of St. John's. So that gives you an idea of where they were. They beat St. John's on the road by 20. Uh, this one they struggled. They need Remy Martin to can a three late to kind of put things away. We'll talk about him more in a second. Uh, but that was, Ken, by Ken Palm ratings, those two teams are very identical. They're within one ranking of each other. Um, tomorrow night, KU plays a much better team. They play Colorado, who is number 77 in Ken Palm, and that's on the road. That should be the best team they've played this year since Michigan State, and it will probably be the best non-con game they have until Kentucky. So that probably their third best non-conference game is coming tomorrow night in Boulder, Colorado, against an old Big 12 foe. So get ready for that one, and we'll talk more about that one tomorrow. But yeah, Rui Martin, um, self was was complimentary yet critical. It was interesting in, in post game. I think it was Jesse New who asked the question, and self kind of wove in these compliments with these um, kind of pointing out of his mistakes, uh, criticism, I guess, if you want to, you know, for lack of a better term. He kind of wove in the criticisms with the compliments, and I think it, it was a very well said, um, you know. It, well put way of, of, to, of describing Remy Martin as a player. He does things where you're like, oh my God, Remy. And then he does where you're like, oh my God, Remy, you're so excited. And so he's, you know, he, he, he really runs the gambit of, of exciting plays and, and plays where you're like, yeah. And it all happened within a second of each other. He cans the three on a great shot to go up six and then he's celebrating, and they blow right past him for the layup on the other end of the court. 
And again, I've, I've made the Tyshawn Taylor comparison a million times, and I know that's probably getting old to a lot of you, but it's, it's just crazy how apt it is that he'll just make these plays where you're like, nobody else on the team can do that. And then he'll go, nobody else on the team would do that. Uh, but I, I like that he's on the team. I like where the Remy Martin is a Jayhawk. I, I would much rather have him here than anybody else in the Big 12. Um, and he, you know, so he's an exciting basketball player. It, it makes some decisions. But he, I think, had his best game Saturday night. He scored 15 points. They needed every one of them. Uh, he was good at the free throw line. I don't know. I don't have his exact numbers pulled up in front of me, but he did make some shots. I, he made a... He got fouled on a shot late that he made both of those free throws. Uh, so he, I mean, Remy Martin, Christian Brown led the team in scoring and I think rebounding. Um, but Remy Martin, I think, was arguably the most important player for KU because you're at a point, you don't want to take Christian Brown for granted, but you're at a point now where you can kind of expect certain performances out of him. And he lived up to that performance. But Remy showed you something, and so did Jalen Wilson, by the way. They both showed you something that, we haven't really seen a lot of this year so far. And I really liked what we saw to Remy Martin. Um, and I, I do think there was a time earlier where he was kind of so nervous. I don't know if nervous is the right word. And I, I have not yet spoken to the kid, so I, it would be wrong of me to, to overly assume things, but just speculating because it's my job. I do wonder if there was a little bit of, hey, I'm going to pass a lot because I want to show that I'm an unselfish player because he got, some a little more free reign uh, at Arizona State, and he was, you know, and that's great. But there are also times where you need to just do your thing and, and get shots, and he did. Uh, and his second half was was really great. Uh, I thought Saturday night, and again, I, I thought he may have been the most important player of the game. Christian Brown did what you would expect of him. Ochai did what he you would expect of him. They both still look like All American candidates, um, but Remy Martin looked more like the Remy Martin we expected, I think, when he announced he was transferring from Arizona State to KU to become a Jayhawk. And that's a good thing. And and I think you're going to, I think a lot of what you saw Saturday will not continue. I do worry a little bit tomorrow because it is a quick turnaround and it is a road game. I do believe somewhat in the altitude, but I also think when you're young, you adjust to those things a lot more and, and these kids are 18 to 23 years old. So I, I think... Physically, they're in such immaculate shape that the altitude should should play some of a role, but not the only role. Um, but I do think the lack of practice may show up a little more tomorrow. Um, but then you get on the other side of Christmas, and that's when these KU teams really, really start to click because it's only them on campus. Um, so I, I expect to see a, a lot more smooth play as time goes on. And... You know, just in time for conference play, and this is not an easy conference. Uh, I think Iowa State has kind of hit the skids, but you've still got Texas, you've still got Texas Tech, uh, and you've still got Baylor, and you know, K State is kind of coming on. So we'll see how they do in conference play. But the point is, a lot of Big Twelve teams are having impressive non cons, and you need to get right. And you need to use. You're already in a great place offensively. This team's incredible offensively. I've told Derek multiple times off the air because I've seen every KU team there is to see in my whole lifetime, and I was born in 1988, and there are certain teams you look at and you go, yeah, this team can do it, and, and this team, guys, can do it, and you know the exact it that I'm talking about. 
Um, but they can and, and they can use winter break to get right, especially defensively. Um, and if Remy Martin continues to step up the way he did, it's only going to get better. I really like this basketball team. We're going to take a quick break. I went a little long on this segment, so it'll be a, a real brief one next. At the end of the hour, we're going to talk with uh, Josh Briscoe about the Kansas City Chiefs. So get excited about that. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back into a Monday edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, normally, we'd be talking uh, the day after a Chiefs game on a Monday, but now we've had a few days to digest that last really, really exciting Chiefs game. And joining us now to talk more about it is Joshua Briscoe. He hosts uh, Almost Entirely Sports in the evenings on Sports Radio 810. Uh, also on, does the Arrowhead Report on SI Now and a podcast called The Times Yours on the athletic um and he also just randomly likes to go to the hospital as he did a couple months ago so josh thanks for joining us how are you man i'm good i really appreciate you taking some time not to just talk about my jobs but also my passion which is being in the hospital who doesn't love (laughs) Lots lots of people say do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life and that's obviously nonsense but you do what you love so you can take the time to do what you love really um, and, and really kick your feet up in a hospital bed. I would recommend it to everyone. It's a great experience. No notes. Absolutely. I, I've uh, spent plenty of days there myself, and I can tell you that uh, having called, having used sick days in my past for uh, to just play hooky um, and not actually <laughs> be sick, that's not where it's at. Where it's at is to actually have to be laid up in the hospital, you know, with a TV with seven channels and a lot of yep. things beeping. That's how you want to spend your sick days. The TV is small, the food is bad, the bed is uncomfortable, you're surrounded by, typically in my experience, incredibly kind strangers, but relative strangers nonetheless. It's extremely expensive, uh, and it's, you know, it's the best time I've had anywhere in, uh, in 2021. Shout out to University Health. They did a great job having me not die. I really appreciate their great work. At the very least, you can still be on with us, and, and you didn't die. So, yeah, I think that's, you came away, you came away a winner. <laughs> things that I wanted was please don't let me die and please let me go back on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Well, we're glad they did it for you. Uh, Josh, um, I almost had to go to the hospital Thursday night because <laughs> I nearly passed out from jumping up off my chair when uh, Travis Kelsey <laughs> trotted into the end zone. How about that one? Uh, the dude is an absolute football guy. I mean, this is something that I, I know I've taken the time to talk about after a handful of games over the last few years. But, man, like none of us around here are going to have any trouble making sure we're appreciating Patrick Mahomes, right? We, we were quarterback-starved in this city for an incredibly long time, and Patrick Mahomes isn't just really good at being quarterback. He is, I think, going to ultimately be the quarterback of this decade, right? We, we all see that. I hope everybody takes a little extra time after a game like this one to appreciate the fact that, that Travis Kelsey is not only um, one of the best players in football and very, 
very far along the path to being the greatest tight end of all time. This is a conversation we were having on the last episode of Times Ours on The Athletic with me and, uh, and Nate Taylor and Seth Kaiser. We were kicking around. Is Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs' Mount Rushmore of, of all-time greats for this team? And the conclusion we came to was, yes, he does actually belong there. Um, as, again, maybe when it's all said and done, an incredible argument for the best tight end of all time. And I think ultimately he'll have an argument as one of the greatest Chiefs of all time, one of the greatest football players we've ever seen doing it in a different way at a position that's evolved while he has been the catalyst of that evolution. Like, I, I just hope people appreciate how much fun it's been and how much fun it will continue to be for, for at least hopefully a few more years because he's just he's as good at his job as anyone else in the sport is at theirs, honestly. I think what what was so special about Thursday, and I, I agree with everything you just said, and, and I, I've kind of made the comparison before, um, you know, and, and it's it's a higher profile position, the, the quarterback position is, mm-hmm. so it, it, it's not a perfect comparison, but, you know, Green Bay, they went Favre to Rodgers. Kansas yeah. City went went Gonzalez to Kelsey with not a huge break in between. There was Moiaki in between, mm-hmm. who was fine, uh, but it's, I mean, when you, it, it's strange to think, you know, you think tight end in Kansas City. I, who, whoever would have thought? I mean, Tony Gonzalez changed the position, and now all yep. of a sudden, um, we've got a guy who's one up Tim, or, or seemingly, if if he hasn't yet, he's on his way to. But Thursday, I, I thought what was so great about that is it was you saw the three Chiefs offensive Hall of Famers at least for now. Yep. We you know we, we like what we're seeing out of Creed Humphrey. Maybe some of these offensive linemen wind up in there, but of the of the star players. You saw the Chiefs stars step up in a in a game that needed stars. This is the this is yep. the you know if if they were make a a last dance ten part documentary about this round of Chiefs, this is a game they bring up a game that they needed when their their big name players stepped up, especially after struggling for a few weeks. Yeah, and that's kind of the most interesting thing about it, where I think if you wanted to be a, a pessimist, you could make the point rightfully of, yeah, and they needed those guys to step up because no one else has made themselves that next guy in this offense. And, and again, that's I think that is what I would use if we were going to have this conversation about this game in a few months in the offseason whenever we're talking about the draft or whatever. But in the micro and in terms of just that game that effectively locked up the AFC West and that now has them back in sole possession of the one seed, which if we don't spend any more time on that later, we can because that is insanity based on where we were a couple of months ago. But if you look back at this game, you're, what you're going to remember is that Patrick Mahomes went over 400 yards and 191 of those went to Travis Kelsey, and almost 150 of them went to Tyreek Hill. We're talking about almost 350, I think it's 349, 350 yards of the 400 or so that Mahomes threw for went to two guys on 22 completions, being Hill and Kelsey. This is, this is as you, I think, were alluding to there, like the quintessential game of this season, and the only game this season, really, where you can say, yeah, the three guys, the holy trinity of this offense, was absolutely impeccable in this game. And, and there were some good performances earlier in the year as well. But, but this is the one that, especially after the offense, had been as, I don't know, laborious as it had been over the last several weeks. This felt like a breakout. This felt like an actual change of, of fortunes and of what this offense is. It almost looked like, if, and I know you don't watch um, KU basketball as closely as we do, considering the name of our show is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. <laughs> but... 
it, it the, the, we've talked this year about how high flying and how smooth the KU basketball offense has been compared to last season when even when they made shots, it looked like they were moving in quicksand. There were times this year where that's exactly how this Chiefs offense looked, that even in the times where they would get a touchdown, it seemed like that laborious is the perfect term for it because they had to go through so much just to put points up on the board. Yeah, I, I'm glad that I found laborious here because I had been using the word constipated for pretty much the last two months, and I'm, I'm really trying to get away from that for obvious reasons. No one needs that on there, you know, at, at 3 or 4 o'clock on a random uh, random weekday. So, yeah, I, I think the idea that – because here's the thing also. like I, I often get kind of annoyed in conversations that end up being either about just the process or just the result of, a, of any given thing, right? Because I think usually it's, it's going to take more than that to have an actually like intelligent conversation. Well, the, the chief season this year and the offense at this point I think has been a great case study of why the process and the result matter so much because you get these laborious, I almost said constipated, these laborious wins over the Giants and the Packers and the, the Cowboys and the Broncos. And they, they blow out the Raiders a couple of times, which is great, but those obviously ended up looking like blips on the radar, not the new, like, new pointed direction of the team. Well, you, you have to win those games because if you stub your toe and, and you lose to Washington or you lose the Jordan Love's Packers. Well, then all of a sudden, the AFC West is back into question again. You're not in the one seed and all of this. But you can't just say, as Eric Bieniemy is wont to do, you know, I don't care about the numbers. I care about the alphabet. I care about the W's and the L. That's an actual quote. And that's oh, yeah. Great. And, well, and then about, at, right? at one point when they asked, have people, do you, people have your offense figured out? He said no, and that's because I know what the numbers are. So it's like, make up your mind, dude. Right. Yeah, I think we would all do a little better if we if we took a little more of everything from the podium with a little more of a, a little more skepticism. I think we'd all get a little closer to the truth in there. Um, but you know, but like the cliche element of it has some truth because if you don't win those games, you're not still in the hunt or at least in the point in the standings where the Chiefs are right now. But the process matters because you've been waiting for the offense to look in control of a football game again because you wanted to know, hey, can they still do that thing where they need to score three touchdowns in 10 minutes? And they can because we just saw them do it. And so that, that for me is why I have a genuine optimism is because I, I think we've seen the results for a while. But the process wasn't quite where it needed to be to make me feel good about this team in January. And, and as of right now, I, I feel pretty darn good about where they're headed again. So if not laborious, and we stick with your initial word, constipated, until <laughs> Thursday, um, it seemed that Las Vegas was, uh, you know, the the X-lax of what the Chiefs <laughs> offense needed. Right. How is it? Right. How big of a deal is it that Thursday night came and it was somebody other than the Raiders' defense? And now look, the Chargers, they weren't the 2000 Ravens. But it's, mm-hmm. it's somebody other than the Raiders. They don't have it hanging over the, the the yeah butt is not hanging over their head anymore. The yeah butt that's the Raiders defense, and they weren't playing the the too high shell. They weren't playing what other teams did. It was the Chargers defense, and the, you know it was a team other than the Raiders that they finally got to. Yeah, and I, I mean you mentioned like the two high shells and everything. I mean we spent a lot of time talking about that. I think in some ways it's been worthwhile. It's been a good conversation, and in some ways I think it it may have ultimately 
been a little bit of like an easier thing for us to latch on to to try to understand what's happening here a, a little bit, you know, maybe oversimplistically. Because Mahomes talked about this in the pressers after the Raiders games, like they were still playing with, a, with with two safeties a lot. They were still rotating around that defensively a lot with various motion in the in the back of their secondary. But they're kind of working back still ultimately towards that goal. And it's not like the Chiefs have struggled with two high looks in years past, really. But this year they have. And, and I think ultimately, uh, this is a point that uh, was was uh, dictated, I thought, well by uh, Matt Lane of, of KC Sports Network on Twitter a day or two ago. The kind of the too high shell stuff was more about that being the most convenient way to slow down Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and not the other way around, like, not that the team's lucked into figuring that out because of this too high magic bullet. It's not that. But ultimately, to answer your actual question there, like how, how big is it to have it be somebody who's not the Raiders? I think it's huge because the, the Raiders' common denominator there is enough to make you wonder. And, and look, maybe, maybe you could go ahead and, and stitch this up for the entire AFC West and kind of have a similar conversation about you know, can can the Chiefs do this against the Bills come playoff time if they end up seeing them in Arrowhead or whatever? And some of those questions, I think, will remain, and, and I think ultimately what they do against the Steelers next week will matter a little bit. What they're able to do against the Bengals will matter a little bit. But if you can see any sort of stitching together there, it's a good sign. And, and I think maybe that's the most important thing, even beyond it just being the Raiders, is that they were able to do it two games in a row in a in a pretty dominant fashion. Um, I want real quick. I want to touch on the the Chiefs' defense. It, is you know is, yep. is it, can we can we see now that the 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 biggest answer early on was a lack of Chris Jones up the middle. When you look yep. at how well the Chargers ran against him Thursday night in his absence, the fact that Melvin Ingram and Frank Clark didn't get to the quarterback very much uh, Thursday night. Is it is is it that simple that that it was just that early on when the Chiefs' defense was struggling, or is it that combined with a few other things? Obviously, uh, Willie Gay, Legarius Sneed, guys like that playing more. Um, but what, is it all that simple, or or is it something that you know we didn't see that took place off the field that everything started clicking for these guys? It's a lot of things, but I do think that the main thing is that in this kind of this is unfortunate. I think because there's no reason it has to be this way. But I think that a lot of Chiefs fans still don't have a proper appreciation for how dominant and unbelievably freaking good Chris Jones is at his job. He's real good. Uh, he is. He is real good. He, he is as disruptive in that position as any mortal man could possibly be. Aaron Donald is an alien, and we all understand that. Uh, but but non Aaron Donald division, I'm not sure. Chris Jones is either is either peerless or he he remains with the best of the best on that level there, and so he's dominant. And, and I thought he would perform well out on the edge, but ultimately they didn't get the early push they needed from the other guys in the interior, like Jaron Reed, who they brought in, and, and that ended up being a bit of a misfire. But I do think it's a lot of things. I do think that it's Juan Thornhill playing some really good football in that deep in that kind of deeper free safety one of the one of the. Cover. He can be a cover two guy. He can be your cover one back there. Have Tyron Matthew move around. That versatility, I think, is really important. But it's also, it is getting better football from Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman as they have had their roles reduced because Juan Thornhill and Willie Gay and, and even last week, especially Nick Bolton, even as those guys have played really good football, 
they've they've played better ball in larger roles, and so your Sorensons and Neemans have played better ball in their more limited roles that more fit their skill sets and what they should be asked to do. You, you saw Frank Clark get healthy. He had one of the most interesting press conferences I've ever been to in person where it was his, his first press conference since all of the off-season stuff, really. I think he might have talked once at training camp. I don't think he even talked at training camp. Maybe he talked once at the preseason. But this was, you know, week three or four or something like that. So he talks about the off-season stuff and, and the arrests and all of that and how that was difficult. But he also talks about his hamstrings through training camp and how he got his camp legs and then his hammy popped. And then he tried to play through it. He tried to pop again, and it was limiting men. Well, you, you saw Frank Clark get actually healthy. Last year he was dealing with this stomach thing and yeah. numbness in his hand. I mean, I look, it, they, they overpaid for Frank Clark, and then they overpaid Frank Clark, and ultimately he has not justified the overall price tag that he's gotten from this team. I'm saying all of that as an absolute factual matter because I just think it's all pretty darn true. And yet he's been really good whenever he's been healthy. Chris Jones is still the most important part on that defensive line. I think you saw that again against the Chargers. Even as Clark and Ingram were okay in that game, Justin Herbert is really good at getting rid of the football very quickly. Like, that is an enormous thing for defenses to try to latch on to. But it, it, it is a lot of things. I think Chris Jones is the, the straw that stirs that particular pass rush drink there. But it, it is literally there's a player at every single level on this defense and at every level of the coaching staff, I think, that deserves some amount of this credit. But it's it definitely got to be shared, I would say. A few more minutes here with uh, Josh Briscoe on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're talking Chiefs. Uh, Josh, I, I'm going to ask this, and it's gonna. I just need a yes or no answer, and that's okay. going to lead me to uh, my next question. So just purely yes, no, and then if you want to give your explanation on the other side of my next question, you can. But yes or no, as it sits on this day, December 20th, the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. Okay, and that leads me to my next couple questions. One, would that still have been true even if things didn't break their way with the Patriots and the Titans this weekend? And then two, how huge was it uh, for that to happen? I mean, it, you know, the, the buy is big, and now that there's only one, so it, it's an easy answer to say how, how huge it was. It was very huge. Um but the fact that it came so quickly, like the Chiefs are now in control of their own destiny for the one seed with multiple games left. So it's not just that it did happen, it's that it happened pretty early. Yeah, so the two-parter there. So on part one, I would say that that was still true before this weekend unfolded. So uh, I can give a shout-out to uh, Deputy Editor of Arrowhead Report, which is part of the, the Sports Illustrated Network you mentioned earlier, arrowheadreport.com, if you'd like. Jordan Foote wrote about that. I think it was Friday after you know, the morning or, or afternoon after the Thursday night game, saying essentially that. I'm like, hey, Chiefs is the best team in the AFC. Don't worry about what happens this weekend. And I completely agreed with that because I, I think that what you'd been waiting for was the, the defense had been legitimate, but could the offense do the thing that we saw them do that we talked about earlier? So I think that makes them by far the, the scariest team in the AFC right now. I don't think that guarantees them a spot in February, but I do think that they are the, the most um, do, dominant is probably not the right word. The, the, the scariest team in the AFC for anybody else. I think everyone else, everybody's got flaws, including the Chiefs, but I would take the Chiefs over anybody else. If I needed to pick one up from uh, the first week of the playoffs. All right, we're talking in terms. With, oh, go ahead. Well, 
In terms of the one seed, I'll say, to, to get out and run it real quick, it's enormous. You get a week off if you're able to hold on to this spot. You don't have to play that wild card game, which is both good, obviously, because you can't lose it, and because you stay healthy. I, I think that holding on to the one seed would be absolutely enormous, and the fact that they're here right now, whenever it felt like it was a, a no-chancer two months ago, it felt like the one seed was completely gone. Uh, for them to be here now is, is remarkable and I think a, a huge deal, actually. All right, one last question for uh, Josh Briscoe before we let him go. Josh, uh, this is one last thing with Adam. Usually Derek will throw it to me. <laughs> I'm going to throw it to myself. Adam, go ahead. Thanks, Adam. Josh, one last thing. What is – I was going to ask a sadder one and, and say what's the what's the one Santa present that got away, but I'm going to ask a happier one. What's your favorite uh, gift, uh, Christmas, that, that either Santa gave you or somebody else, favorite gift that you got as a kid or as an adult? So I, the one that comes immediately to mind, and I have to admit, this may have been a birthday gift that I can't remember because my birthday is two days before Christmas. So oh, they, that they all sucks. kind of it, <laughs> it has been a challenge over over the years. You know, it's been a tough. It was a tough draw for me as a young one. Now it's not so bad. Um, so I, just, I just you know take off a bunch of days, right? Um, I get to celebrate my birthday and Christmas all together. It's all right. But I got a black Nintendo DS Lite. Presumably, I think it was my 13th birthday or Christmas. Nice. Um, and that, I mean, I still have it. I know exactly where it is. And uh, Travis Kelsey just got put on the COVID list. So I'm going to go ahead and oh, give you that geez. news on my way out. All right. Well, I'll we know what we're talking shortly. about next hour. Yeah. Good luck with that. Well, um, that's kind of sad, but I'm <laughs> glad you got your DS. And I just want to point out that uh, this man has a birthday around Christmas, and his name starts with the letter J. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Josh, uh, thank you so much for joining us. He is with uh, the host of Almost Entirely Sports on Sports Radio 810 WHB. He runs Arrowhead Report uh, with Sports Illustrated, and he also co-hosts the Times Ours podcast on The Athletic. Josh, thanks a bunch for coming in and joining us today. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yep, take care. All right, that was Josh Briscoe, and as you heard on the way out the door, Travis Kelsey has been put in the COVID protocol I'll hop on Twitter, get to the bottom of that, see what the details are, and uh, we'll be back on the other side of the 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on 1320 KLWN, FM 101.7. Depend on it. What's going on? Adam Dravetta in with you on a Monday afternoon on Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on 1320 KLWN. FM 101.7, and if you were listening at the end of last hour, you heard Josh Briscoe give us some news right out the door. Um, that was kind of frustrating. Uh, and the news was that uh, currently Travis Kelsey is in the uh, COVID protocol. We want to get confirmation on that. Um, so from Matt Vert- Verderam of fan-sided national NFL reporter uh, spends a lot of time covering the Chiefs uh, he is a fan-sided uh, the, he is saying uh, five minutes ago he tweets the Chiefs have to hope with new protocols that Travis Kelsey can test out of the COVID before the weekend he is vaccinated that does help new protocols uh, will allow him to um, test uh, I believe he needs two tests within 24 hours of each other um and that's that's tough. And let's see. Uh, I'm going. I'm kind of going. This is all running uh, 
real time right now. Adam Schefter had the initial tweet from what I'm seeing. Uh, Travis Kelsey is being placed on the reserve COVID list. Sources tell ESPN he is vaccinated, so there is a chance he's back Sunday with the new return-to-play protocol. So it helps that he got vaccinated. A lot of good reasons to get vaccinated. And um, the chance to play an NFL game is just one of them. So that's, I don't know, you can't really overreact to news like that because he's one of the most important players on this team. What we are going to do is we are going to overreact to some of the other NFL goings-on. And let me get some bump music going. Sorry, I was still trying to read through this Travis Kelsey stuff. It's kind of crazy. But while we're back at it, let's go ahead and do it with a Monday tradition and overreact to the goings-on this weekend in the NFL. Very first on this NFL overreaction Monday is... Let's go. Sorry, I've got my, uh, this is how well prepared I am. I've got the notes right in front of me, but I didn't pull them up. Here we are. We're overreacting. Um, first one, passing, no longer required in the National Football League. I don't think people need it, and I think you don't have to look further than the Patriots to prove it. They won their game against the Buffalo Bills, 14-10, uh, to 10, in an upset against Buffalo, it, at Buffalo, by the way, against the uh, a favored division rival uh, on their home turf. They ran it about a billion times. They threw it three times, and they won the game. They threw it more than three times against the Colts Saturday night, and they ran it for less than a billion times. The Colts, however, ran for a heap and threw over only 12 passes, and they won. So I'm just saying... You know, I, I think maybe Derek may disagree with me. Analytics may disagree with me. Common sense, probably going to disagree with me. And frankly, if this weren't the NFL overreaction segment, I would disagree with me. Um, but just because it's overreacting to very small samples, I'm going to go ahead and say that, hey, you know what? No longer need to pass. Just do it rugby style and run the entire time. Next up, Houston, Detroit, and Jacksonville. Uh, that adds two teams to my relegation list. I said a couple weeks ago Detroit should be relegated. Um, Houston and Jacksonville add to that list. I'm keeping Detroit on there. I don't care that they beat the Cardinals. That is the annual Cliff Kingsbury falling apart fiasco that seems to happen every single year around this time. So I look good win for the Detroit Tigers or Detroit Lions. I beg your pardon. I'm getting my Detroit Big Cats name differently tigers of course that baseball team the lions should uh, still be relegated along with another big cat team that being the jacksonville jaguars although i'm thrilled that they got rid of urban meyer uh the nfl is better without him being part of it college football is also better without him being a part of it even though he wins a bunch uh houston texans also you need to look at relegation for them those two teams jacksonville and houston played each other yesterday and I, what I'm sure was just an extravagant turd of a game. I feel so awful for anybody who lived in the area of those games that needed to watch it, even if you're a fan. Woof. Um, I think there was a guy that ran on the end zone, ran on the field at one point in the end zone and got tackled. That uh, video made its round on the internet on Twitter, so that's that was exciting. At least they had that going for it, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, Jacksonville, Houston, Detroit... 
send them all down. And by the way, I've got my eye on the New York football giants as the next team to be relegated. I'm thinking that would be a good idea. You find the USFL is coming up. Find the four best teams from the USFL, move them up to the NFL at the end of that season. And the four worst teams, which so far I'm seeing looks to be Detroit, Jacksonville, Houston, and the New York football giants. Jets, they're not far from it either. Relegate all of them. Put them down in the USFL. Move up the USFL's four best teams. I'm not sure they can sit here and be any worse. They may go 0-17 because it's the USFL. And you really, once you see these minor league football teams, which they've tried each of the last, well, they didn't try last year, but the, the years before, 2019, they tried, I think, what was called the AAFL. The XFL gave it another shot. Minor league football has proven to be pretty awful. Uh, for the record, I think if they want to have successful minor league football, they need to do what Arena Football used to do, which is uh, have it in the summertime because that's when people are really jonesing for football. People get excited for the Hall of Fame game every August because they're so starved for football. But if you come off the Super Bowl and the very next week you're playing the USFL or the AAFL or the XFL, that's such a step down in quality football. Do away with it until summertime. People's going to be getting to May going to be getting to June. People are going, oh, I really miss football. They're starting to Jones. They're starting to hop on YouTube to watch reruns of their famous favorite uh, football games. So that's when you need these these minor league, uh, minor league uh, football leagues to step up. So, but again, the overall point, uh, we're overreacting to NFL goings on this weekend. The Giants are on my to-do list of, of relegating. Uh, Detroit, Jacksonville, Houston, you've all been relegated. Next up, NFL should always be playing on Tuesdays. Uh, let's see, tomorrow we've got Seattle versus the Rams and the Washington football team versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that the uh, quality of the game might be not any good. You don't really see good games on a Thursday night. Um, so I could be wrong here. I think players and coaches would be adamantly against it. So... I guess it's not ever going to happen, but because of COVID, look, I, I hate COVID. I, I want it to go away. Um, I want to. I want to tell you, I want it to go away. I'm not stomping my feet and closing my eyes and pretending it's gone away. That's an important difference. However, because it is still here, it's, it's uh, they've had to move a couple games to tomorrow. I'm good with NFL all week. I mean, I like I like the Jayhawks. I probably I'm probably going to watch them tomorrow night over uh, the NFL. But you know what? NFL every day doesn't sound so bad, does it? I mean, I watch the Mac play on uh, on um, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I'll watch Ohio versus Bowling Green on a Tuesday night in October. I'll watch more NFL. People are football starved in this country, so move, move. Give me a couple games a week on Tuesday. Wednesday can be our our time off. Thursday we got our Thursday night football. Friday. You're hanging out with your families. Maybe you've got a high school game you want to go to. Another on Friday. Saturday, of course, you got college football. Sunday, the big NFL day. Then you got Monday night football. Then you got Tuesday night football. So you got something every night of the week except for Wednesday. And that's fine. We have a little break, a little a little bridge of no football uh, on Wednesday night. And the Mac can play then. Maction on Wednesday night. Uh, next up. Orange teams should not be allowed to play other orange teams. The Bengals played the Broncos yesterday, and it was disgusting. I actually like the Bengals uniforms, and I don't hate the Broncos uniforms, but when you put them 
on the same field together. It looks gross. I think those old uh, games with John Elway and Ernest Biner and Marty Schottenheimer when the Browns played the Broncos with their old uniforms in the 80s in the playoffs, I thought those looked disgusting. Orange goes great with basically any other color. You know how awesome it looks when the Bengals play or the Browns play like the Giants or the Steelers or the Ravens? That looks sweet. But orange versus orange looks gross. So move the Browns and the Bengals away from each other in the division so they don't have to play each other as much. Ban all orange teams from playing each other. Orange versus non-orange looks really, really cool. Uh, Orange versus just whatever, you know, looks great. Uh, Although I'm trying to picture the Raiders. Browns versus Raiders probably looks... I don't know, maybe not all colors, but certainly orange versus orange, I think is is pretty gross. Um, I may ask Derek what he thinks of that. Next, um, the Packers uh, were overreacting to their victory. They won. They beat the Ravens last night in Baltimore. Uh, they did everything they could to lose. They were up by two touchdowns late uh, with, I think, eight or nine minutes left. They're up by two touchdowns. And the Ravens came all the way back and were a two-point conversion away from taking the lead and probably winning the thing, all because the Packers are allergic to contained defense. I don't think they've ever heard of it. It's very basic NFL. It's really just basic football protocol that if you've got a, an escape, a quarterback, not just with great escapability, but who can run in general, you have um, you use a contained defense which basically just means have a guy keep an eye on the quarterback the quarterback is his man at all times Huntley's not going to beat you with his arms if you take with his arm if you take away the threat of his legs he's just not same with Lamar Jackson they can they can scheme some open receivers to get them some completions but they're not great throwers of the football as I said earlier there's a difference in, in quarterbacking there's a difference between throwing the ball and slinging pig Neither of those guys sling pig. Patrick Mahomes slings pig. Aaron Rodgers slings pig. Those guys don't sling pig. But they can escape. They're incredibly dangerous but on their feet. Run some contained, Packers. I don't know if they'd never heard of it or what went on there, but they the very first play of the uh, drive that made it 31-30, it was 31-24. Packers were up. Baltimore goes ahead and goes for... Uh, the touchdown, or they go for two after getting the touchdown, but before that even happens, they give 34 yard, 34 yard run. Just here, Huntley, take it. And that was that was very annoying. Uh, and that's going to lead me to my final overreaction. Packers did wind up winning, by the way, because the Baltimore Ravens came up all short on a two point conversion. My final overreaction is. I don't even know what I'm overreacting to. I'm just annoyed with the analytics discussion. And that is because it it can't... This is kind of a summation of of a lot of discussion in in the United States. Everything's either definitively yes or definitively no, um, which I don't like. I don't like discussions without nuance. Sometimes things are definitively yes or definitively no. Like, there there are facts. There are realities in our world. But sometimes there are things that are subjective. And the the discussion of analytics, you either get knuckle-draggers who hate it, who will never pay attention to it, who stomp their feet and say, no, no, it's ridiculous. And and every time somebody doesn't get a fourth down 
every time they don't get a two-point conversion play, they'll 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 be up there championing. See, it's football is about more than numbers. Yes, football is more about numbers, but I think what you saw uh, Thursday night uh, with the Chargers and with the Ravens going for it is sometimes it's not it's imperfect. And and I think any analytics person will tell you that yes, it's imperfect. But again, I, I don't want to charge this as, as being completely against the analytics. I do think a fault with analytics in the game of football, while I do think it's foolish to ignore them completely, I think a fault in the game of football is um, it's only 17 games, and that just started this year. It used to be 16 games. In games like baseball and basketball, at least at the NBA level, uh, in the NBA you have 82 games. Baseball, you have 162. So things have you have time for things to break your way. And, and, and if you have a stretch where a, a bunch of the right calls go against you in a row, you're, the numbers are going to turn back in your favor, and eventually everything evens out. All the bad luck kind of evens out. You have more time for that to happen in a 162-game season and in an 82-game season. You really don't have that kind of time in a 17-game season. So that is... You know, the, the the Ravens now, when it comes to going for two, have done what I think and what the numbers will tell you is the right thing. They've done that twice now, and they've lost both games. And that is big. The Chargers did what the numbers will tell you is the right thing and going for it. Thursday night against the Chiefs, uh, numbers will tell you that was the right thing, but it cost them the game. And had they won that game, they would have been they would have had the tiebreaker for the lead in the AFC West. Instead, now they're hoping for a wild card. Because the Chiefs have their hands around the throat of the AFC West. They have a 96 to 99% chance of winning the thing. So, analytics, I'm not bothered by analytics. I think they're necessary. I'm not necessarily bothered by the arguments against the analytics. I guess my overreaction is, is I hate the discussion around analytics because it is so, yes, one way, it's, it's so definitive one way or the other. And there is nuance to these sorts of things. So, uh, that is NFL overreactions along with early on a little breaking Travis Kelsey news in case you weren't listening at the beginning of the hour. Um, he was placed on the COVID-19 protocol list. He is vaccinated, so there is a chance he can still play Sunday against Pittsburgh, but he'll need a couple uh, negative tests. We'll keep you updated on that right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right. It is that time. Uh, doing Case of the Mondays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I am Adam Dravetta. Derek Johnson is uh, playing hooky for one more day. Actually, now one more hour because we've come to the last hour on this uh, on this Monday. 
So I'm going to run Case of the Monday. So here's what you may have missed over the previous weekend while you were busy watching maybe football, maybe while you were watching KU basketball Saturday night. Here's some things that happened. Bo Nix, quarterback who had all sorts of success there at uh, Oregon, or I mean, beg your pardon, at Auburn, has now moved to Oregon. Um, not overly surprising. I think a lot. I think he was in the transfer portal well before this, but I, I think the, the surprising part uh, is that he, or not, not even surprising, the news. The news is not that he's in the transfer portal. The news is that he's chosen where he's going. Uh, that is uh, to Oregon. And uh, that'll be big. They just got themselves a new coach. Um, their old coach um, went to Cristobal. Mario Cristobal went to Miami. That's right, Miami. Uh, they hired, I believe, the def- or the offensive coordinator away from uh, Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. So a lot of changes um, on the landscape of college basketball or of uh, college football. And that is just another one. And Bo Nix. Uh, this transfer portal is 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 wild. It, it, you know, it, it really has become somewhat of a free agency to use a cliche that people keep term you know using, and and they're usually saying it in a negative way. Oh my God, it's going to be just like a free agency if players can transfer without having to sit out for a year. Yes, it is like free agency, but that's also to me not necessarily a bad thing. I'm okay with it. I think players. If they want to have the opportunity to leave, um, then that's their prerogative, honestly. I, I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, yeah, I can't say I blame uh, Bo Nix one bit for his decision to leave uh, if he didn't like what was going on at Auburn. So, yeah, that is that is my take on that, and that is uh, segment number one of... Case of the Monday. Segment number two is UConn women, uh, one of the most dominant teams in all of sports, uh, one of the best teams, most successful programs in all of sports, college or pro. The U- UConn women's basketball team has lost again. I believe that's their third loss of the year. They lost 69 to 64 to Louisville, or as they say in Louisville, wool. And, uh, yeah, the Cardinals defeating the Huskies. Gino Oriema, they're out of the top 10. They're now ranked 11th. 7th was the lowest ranking they'd had since 2006, 2012, somewhere in there. Um, They're falling out of the top 10. So quite the changing of the guard going on in women's college basketball. Uh, Paige Beckers, if I'm pronouncing her name right, I apologize. If I'm not, I'm terrible at names. Um... She has been injured. I think she's out another three to four weeks at best, and she is by far the best player in the country. She does play for UConn. She's a stud. She's so fun to watch. Once she comes back, I highly recommend you take in a UConn women's basketball game just to watch her because she's she's fun. Um, but, yeah, UConn women's uh, team, you know, a changing of the guard, which I think is good. I, I've, never believe, I've never been of the belief that UConn needs to become worse uh, to, you know, to save women's college basketball for whatever. I do think that's a ridiculous uh, mindset, but I do think uh, teams catching up to UConn was good. And that's, an inter- uh, to me, it was always an important way to phrase that because the, you know, there were this belief, there was this belief or this expression of this belief by some people that, well, this is really bad. You know, UConn being this good is really bad for women's college basketball. 
I think the more right way to say it is other teams not being up to their level was bad for women's college basketball, and now other teams are reaching and surpassing them, and I think that is a good thing. I thought their their particular level of dominance, I think it's good to have a dominant team. Um, like when the Patriots were dominating the NFL, what we hope the Chiefs become in the NFL. I think dominant teams and Blue Bloods are good for sports, but that level of dominance where they were going years without losing a game, where they were winning four, five, six national titles in a row, um, I think they made a Final Four every year since 07 or 08. They, and they're amazing, and, and credit to them for being so amazing. And But I did think that level of dominance kind of took a lot away from how great uh, women's college basketball could have been and, and is now. But I always felt the responsibility was never with UConn to get worse. The responsibility is with every other program to invest better in their women's programs and to catch up to UConn and Gina Oriema. Um, and Dawn Staley is doing that really at, at, at South Carolina. She's amazing. She uh, just got a big old fat contract raise. I think she's making three or four million bucks a year. Uh, and so, you know, for the longest time in the 90s, you had Louisiana Tech and Texas Tech jump up a couple years. But for the most part, that was Tennessee. Then it was UConn almost exclusively with Notre Dame catching them once or twice. But now all of a sudden, women's basketball has, has, you know, other programs have caught up to UConn. Mississippi State is there. South Carolina, obviously, there. C. C Vivian Stringer has left. I think she retired from Rutgers. But they were there with her. We'll see if they get back. Um, Louisville, I don't think they've busted through and won the national title this year, but they're a perennial top 10 team. Uh, or busted through and won a national title yet. They might this year. Uh, but again, they're a perennial top 10 team. Um, LSU has invested in, in Kim Mulkey, who's a fantastic coach who brought Baylor into prominence. So again, I never felt UConn owed it to anybody to get worse, but I do think the other programs around women's college basketball owed it to the fans to get better. And UConn threw down the gauntlet and these other programs have answered. Uh, Caroline Crawford has transferred or is in the transfer portal. She has not yet announced a, a destination. Uh, you may remember her name from uh, KU Volleyball fame. She was a huge part of the um, KU's run to the Sweet 16 this past year. Uh, she's from Lansing, Kansas. Uh, she talked openly uh, ahead of the Sweet 16 about how excited she was about the future of the program. Um, I don't know what her plans are. Um, she's in the transfer portal. I, I wish, you know, I wish her the best. I think it's like anything else. When you're a fan of a team, you're kind of bummed to see a great player go. And Caroline Crawford is a great player. So as a fan, I'm, I'm bummed to see her go, but I also, I'm not going to criticize her because I, it's what I just said about Bo Nix. Players now have the opportunity to transfer and do what they feel is, is in their best interest. I've got no problem with that. Um, selfishly, you want the best players to play for your team and KU is my team. So yeah, I'd love her to stay. She won uh, all Big 12. She was, I think, maybe the freshman of her year, freshman of the year in 2020, and was named the all Big 12 freshman team. Was a huge contributor uh, this past year to a team that uh, made a run toward the end of the year and ultimately made a run to the Sweet 16. Um, and I'm sad to see her go, just as a KU fan. But again, if this if this is what she wants, uh, more power to her. I'm glad these players have this opportunity to uh, to transfer. And good luck to wherever she goes. I'll be rooting for her anytime she's not playing KU. Um, and now 
comes the task of Coach Bouchard to replace her. And I, I've said all along, great coaches um, adjust to changing landscapes. Um, the, the, the coaches that are only great for one era, they tend to struggle. Uh, when changes are made, and this transfer thing is a huge change. Um, and now we'll see, you know, Coach Bouchard getting hit with the transfer portal. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, I wish him the best. I wish the program the best. I wish Caroline the best. Um, but that is some news from the weekend. Uh, moving on, uh, the 49ers, uh, they're 8-6. and six. How about them? You haven't been paying much uh, close attention to the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo, but I'll be damned if they haven't won a few games in the row, and they are now up to eight and six, winning five of the last six. One of them a big old win over the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Uh, there's a dog in studio with me now. I gotta go. I gotta pet it. I gotta call it over here. Come on. Um, he's being shy. This is great. Great radio is a sight gag, but. Um, yeah, so the 49ers, I don't know if you were paying attention. Maybe since the Chiefs didn't play yesterday, you took the day to uh, do some um, do some chores around the house. Hopefully, you've got your, if you're going to put Christmas decorations up, they were already up. But, yeah, if not uh, if not yesterday, you know, doing some chores, when were you going to get them done? So maybe you missed it, but the 49ers are fire hot right now. Uh, Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum both failed their tests. Uh, for their COVID test, they are not able to play Mullins. Uh, I believe Tyler Mullins might be his name. Uh, that shows you how much I know. He's um, he's the third-string quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Apologies for not knowing his first name. Uh, the Browns right now are trailing uh, the Raiders uh, by a score of 7 to nothing. That game is in Cleveland coming up on the end of the first half. So uh, Mullins hasn't had a, a huge performance so far. For the Browns, uh, that's been pretty ugly. Um, and next up, uh, final one for Case of the Mondays: the Battle of the Blue Bloods. Uh, Kentucky was initially, I think, going to play Louisville. Uh, they were going to play somebody else, and North Carolina was going to play UCLA. And they both those two programs had COVID issues, so they had to cancel their games. So Kentucky and North Carolina said, "Hey, we'll play each other." They're both blue bloods. Hubert Davis is unranked right now uh, with North Carolina replacing Roy Williams. We'll see in the long run if he gets things turned around. For now, they've struggled out of the gates, and Kentucky absolutely blew out the uh, Carolina Tar Heels 98-67. to It was it was a whooping. It was never close. Um, so in the Battle of the Blue Bloods, Kentucky takes down North Carolina by over 30 points. That happened this past Saturday. That is Case of the Mondays, what you missed this past weekend. I'm Adam Dravetta on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, one segment down, two to go in this final hour. Thanks for listening. This is uh, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and we'll be back after these messages, and you can depend on it.